1 Corinthians 13, verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Prophecy is an important part of God's inspired teaching. But we need to understand that prophecy is in a way a way of God expressing his love towards us. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, at the end of this verse, we read, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jesus Christ's life, what he did, is testimony of what he did is the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy tells us what is God's plan and intent to do, but also with that prophecy comes a warning that if we do not go according to his plan, he wants to bring us in line to that plan. And so, we are talking today, brethren, about the heart and intent of prophecy. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Yeah, we have Paul describing his ministry. Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. And he says that even though he's going through serious trials, as we read in verse 24, he understands that the trials and the challenges and the pains he's going through are actually filling or completing the afflictions of Christ. And so many of us go through trials and difficulties and afflictions and health issues to complete what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. That is a very profound statement because we are part of Christ's body. And so Christ's body had to physically suffer and us, as a spiritual extension of Christ's body, we also have to suffer. <coughs> we also have to suffer. And so then he's, he's saying that he's become a minister, in verse 25, to serve this body, to serve the church. And I became a minister, right, according to what gave me to do. <clears throat> I beg your pardon according to what gave me, what God gave me to do. <coughs> Be a part. So, his purpose to serve the church is because God gave him an instruction to do that. And he is sharing with us 
that good news. <clears throat> and, and he's saying at the end of verse 25, he's given this responsibility to fulfill God's word. And that's God's command, God's instruction. Which is the gospel, which is the good news of what God is doing. And then he says, which is a mystery. Verse 26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations. Mankind, until Christ's time, did not fully understand. And today, mankind still doesn't understand. Only the few that God has chosen to reveal the mystery to understand it. But it is a mystery from all generations that all mankind is destined to be sons and daughters of God, even Gentiles. And that, that specific part, even Gentiles, was even a greater mystery. And that's what he's saying. To them God willed, you know, it's to us, the saints, when he's revealing this, to them, to the saints, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery? We need to understand that God wants to give us such huge blessings that it's beyond your and my human comprehension. The biggest human pleasure that you and I could have is nothing compared to the pleasure and joy and happiness we will have in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and so that's a mystery which is also among the Gentiles, which is in Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our only hope is through Christ. And then he goes on in verse 28. Him, Christ, we preach. Because Christ, through Christ, through what he's done, he's opened the door. He's opened the pathway. He's created the possibility of this path for us to enter the kingdom of God, the family of God. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man. So that teaching comes with a warning. In a sense, it's prophetic. It's a prophecy. It's a warning that if you don't do this, this will happen. And it says, to every man, in all wisdom... You see, God's got such huge wisdom that just you and I just cannot comprehend. His thoughts and his thinking is so many miles ahead of ours that we just don't get it. And I don't mean it in a negative way that we don't get it. What I mean it is that he's got such processing power, let's call it that, in his brain, that we just can't even cope. It's like one little old computer just click, click, clocking away and not getting anything done versus a very fast modern generation processor that gets the stuff this quick. Our brain is that slow compared to God's, which is far greater. And so, we have to, as it says, uh, we have to believe and we have to trust God 
in faith that that is the case. But then continuing in verse 28, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. You see, the outcome, the outcome of this road that you and I are in is that you and I ultimately will become perfect. In this physical life, you and I will probably never really achieve perfection. But once God sees that you've done everything that you can, you'll then make up the difference at the resurrection. And so that's why he says, God wants to give us this great, great blessing, this hope of glory. But with it comes a warning. A warning not because God wants to punish us, but a warning because God wants us to change and repent and become more like him. You see, the wisdom of God, the mind of God, the desire and intent of God is for you and I to be in his kingdom and to be his beloved children. And nothing, nothing that you and I will do will separate us from the love that God has for you and I. Oh yes, our sins separate us from God. But he wants us to repent because he still loves us. And so what's God's intent? What is God's inspired teaching? God's inspired teaching, think about it, is prophetic. Because for you and I to be children of God is a prophecy. Is a telling of the future. It is a prophetic statement. And so, God's heart about this major prophetic statement, which is the mystery of Christ through us, is a heart of love and the intent of God is for us to be his children. And so today I want to talk a little bit more about the heart and intent of prophecy. In other words, the spiritual value that we gain from prophecy. And I'm going to use the story of Mr. Dove. Do you know Mr. Dove? Now I'm not talking about Mr. Turkey or Mr. Vulture. I'm talking about Mr. Dove. And there's a whole book in the Bible about Mr. Dove. But in that whole book, there's only one verse with one prophecy. And the problem with Mr. Dove is that he was not using prophecy the way God intended it to be used. He did not understand the heart and intent of prophecy. You see, God is setting up a great opportunity for us. And Mr. Dove turned it around as a great refusal to do what God wanted him to do. And so, the word Jonah means dove. So let's go to the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. And now we start that God came to Jonah 
Mr. Dove. And uh, he said, I've got a job for you. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. I've got a job for you. And the question for you and I is, are we ready for God's job that he has for you and I? Because as you know the story, it became a great refusal by him that he didn't want to do that job. So Nineveh is run about the area of Mosul, uh, north of Baghdad in Iraq. And so he said, go into that area, go into, let's say, Mosul. That's, uh, you probably saw that on the news a few years back when there was the war in Iraq and quite a lot of things around that area. And so he said, go there. But Jonah, verse 3, arose to flee to Tarshish. Tarshish is probably the area of the Iberian Peninsula, where today is Spain and Portugal. And at the south of Portugal, there's an area right there on the Mediterranean called Algarve. An ideal destination for tourists. And so, let's say, he said, oh well, I'm not going to do, I don't want to do what God, let me just go to this nice tourist spot in the south of the Iberian Peninsula and I'm going to run away from God and I'll be okay there in lovely, you know, area. It's like saying, I'm going to go to Hawaii and I'm going to just disappear. Something like that. So, uh, because he rose to flee from the presence of the Lord, so you went to Joppa, which is Tel Aviv. So where Tel Aviv is today. And he found it a ship going out west. And so he paid the fare and went into it and to go with them to Tarshish, away from God's presence. Goodbye. God is in this land of Israel. I'm going to go to another country. I'll be far away from God. His perspective of God was incorrect. He limited God mentally, and really, you and I know that we can't run from God. As we can see, his perspective led to an action, and our perspective of God can lead also to incorrect actions. Regrettably, we see a lot of people in the world having incorrect actions because they have a wrong perspective of God. If you turn quickly with me to Jeremiah 23, verse 23, Jeremiah 23, 23, you will see that God is everywhere. Jeremiah 23, 23. I am... A God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off. Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. In other words, I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. You can't duck away from me. But Jonah had a wrong perspective. So continue back reading in Jonah verse 5. It says, <clears throat> you know, or in verse 4, you know there was a great wind, a mighty tempest, and then the sailors, the mariners, were afraid. And every man cried to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into lowest parts of the ship Let's call it into the belly of the ship. 
and he went to go and have a good snooze. I am just going to rest this out. The ship goes, it's okay, I'm just going. I'm going to this land and things will work out okay. But, so they called him, hey, you sleeper. You read that in verse 6. Hey, you sleeper, wake up. Can't you see what's going on? And uh, and so they said, well, uh, let's cast lots and see why do we have this problem. And so the lot fell on Jonah. And you know the story. Because then in verse 12, he said to them, well, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. So just throw me overboard. And uh, I'm not going to do what God tells me to do to go and preach to Nineveh. You see, he wasn't repentant. He wasn't repentant. And then we see uh, in verse 17, now the Lord had, and, and yeah, and the sea calmed, and the sailors got all amazed, etc. But continue the story, verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish. Understand, it's not a whale. It's a great fish. I know some people say, oh, well, it's a whale. It's a special made fish with a special area where it could be in. But I can tell you, was not a cruise ship. It was not a pleasant apartment. It was very uncomfortable. But a special ship that he could, quote-unquote, a special fish that he could live inside there somehow. And, uh, and so Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Is there something in our lives that God is asking us to do and we're refusing to do it? Because God is not going to give up with you. God will use you like he used Jonah regardless. If God has a plan and he wants you to do something, he knows how to twist your arm gently and God will use you regardless. God is big. Jonah's B.A., not Bachelor of Arts, but bad attitude, Jonah's B.A. did not prevent God from doing his work. God knows how to work around despite our failures. In Isaiah 46, verse 10, Isaiah 46, verse 10, <clears throat> Isaiah 46, verse 10, it says about God, declaring the end from the beginning, that's prophecy, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God does what he wants to do. He's God. He's going to do it. You see, Jonah had a job to be a messenger, to give a message. message. Like Christ served when he came to earth in a way as a messenger. Both Jonah and Christ were sent by God. Both Jonah and Christ were in the belly. Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Christ was in the belly of the earth. Both were in the belly for three days and three nights. 
both returned to the land of the living. And the message that both, the warning that both bring and the message and the hope of glory is for both Israelites and Gentiles. You and I also, like Jonah, are also called to do a job. And part of that job is the training that you and I are going through. Not just for today, but for tomorrow. We called to serve Christ today and even more in the kingdom. We have God we have God given responsibilities to do. Do we run away from them? Do we limit God? Do we have a BA, a bad attitude, and say no to God? Like Jonah. God can place us in a little kind of tough situation to change our minds from no to yes, sir. So we see in Jonah chapter 2 verse 10, Jonah chapter 2 verse 10 at the end, so the Lord God spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Because once Jonah realized, okay, I better do what God tells me to do and to go to Nineveh. Once his arm had been twisted and says, okay, I'll do what God wants me to do. But still with a BA, still with a bad attitude about it. But he said, I'll do it, but reluctantly. And so the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah onto dry land. You see, he was back, but imagine he was amongst vomit. That was not a pleasant situation to get out of the fish. I mean, you know when when you bring up it's not very pleasant. And you having that all around you, man, oh man, must have been quite something. But God will use you like God will use humanity in his great final purpose for the whole of mankind to be his children for an even greater plan that he has beyond that. Because God thinks big. God has a big plan. And he will do what he wants to do because he's God. And so God is getting ready for something big. A great purpose for human life. And in Isaiah 45 verse 18, Isaiah 45 verse 18, it says that God did not create the earth in vain. God has a very big plan. Now the word vain there is tohu, similar to the word used in Genesis 1 verse 2, that God did not create the earth tohu and bohu in vain and void and emptiness. No. God created it beautiful, but it became that way. God did not create the earth in vain, in a state of confusion, and he has a purpose for the planets, for everything. But first, first, he has to get his sons and daughters in the kingdom. And then, he will change the world into a new world, new heavens and a new earth, somehow, and then is ready for even a bigger plan.
beyond Revelation chapter 22. Because there's some wonderful stuff out there. I always think when I read Revelation 21 and 22, I think of it, that statement, life is like a box of chocolates. You don't know what you're going to get. And you and I don't know the beauty that we're going to get beyond the new earth, new heaven, beyond that. But God has got some wonderful stuff for us. But he does give us some warnings for us to repent, for us to change, for us to become humble and meek and malleable so he can mold us and work with us like, like clay and shape us so that we become like he is. Because he's got a plan for us. And that's why he loves us. He loves us. And he wants us there. And he wants every person there. He hasn't called them yet today because in his great wisdom, he believes they'll be better off by calling them later. But he wants everyone there. And so now we get to chapter 3 of Jonah, where Jonah goes out, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time and says, Okay, go to Nineveh and preach the message. And so he went to that great city, and we read here in verse 4, the only prophetic prophecy of this book, which is, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the prophecy. You 40 days and you will be gone. Gone. And you know the story. The king got into sackcloth. He repented. And not only that, he went on to the fast. And not only that, he declared that fast. You can read that in verse 7. It says, let no man or beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. How many times for those of you that have a dog and a cat, when you keep the Day of Atonement, you make sure that your dog and cat does not eat anything or drink anything. But Yah was a repentant king. And and he was an amazing leader because he got everybody to follow him. You see, God places leaders in positions, as we read in Daniel 4.25, and as we read in Esther 4 verse 14, he says, How do you know, said Mordecai to Esther, that God didn't place you in that position for that very task? How do you know that God has not got a specific task for you and I that we just don't get it? And you say, what is it that I can't do? I'm just a housewife. Well, there's a lot you can do. Because one of the things about the work we're doing is preparing ourselves, prepare the people, preparing ourselves for the role and the task that God has for you and I. You see, the nation of Nineveh repented. And therefore that prophecy was not fulfilled. And Jonah knew that God was merciful and they would repent and therefore he didn't want to give them the message. A selfish motive. Because in the end, that prophecy achieved its purpose. 
You see, the prophecy was not fulfilled, but the prophecy achieved its purpose for the people to repent. Prophecies there as warnings for us to take the warning and repent. You reading the letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, each letter says, repent, repent. We are to repent. And we need to see the big picture of prophecy. The heart and intent of prophecy is that God wants to give us great things. And therefore the intent is to motivate, motivate us to do the right thing. And if we need to repent, to repent. If we need motivation to look towards that goal, give us that hope to look towards that goal. But the heart intent of prophecy is to lead us to move in the right direction. But Jonah's perspective was different. You read that in chapter 4 verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly that he became angry. He became angry. Because God had not fulfilled that prophecy to destroy that nation. And you know the story, it says, you cared for this tree and this little worm that came around you and look at all these thousands of people. And so get up, Jonah. Get up, Jonah. Because God has a big heart of love and comfort. But Jonah had an intellectual perspective of prophecy. You see, we have a lot of prophecies. And, you know, we've got prophecies like seven seals, seven trumpets. We have prophecies like the mark of the beast. And yes, there is value in those prophecies. And as time moves on, we understand more and more. But the purpose of those prophecies is not for you to go, or for me, or for anybody else, to go on an intellectual trip of knowing I am better than you because I know all these prophecies and all these dates and all these meanings and I'm such great knowledge about these things. That's not the purpose of prophecy. The purpose of prophecy is that we wish the world would repent so that the world would not need to go through it. But regrettably, you and I know the nation and the nations are getting worse and worse and worse. You know, like Christ spoke to the Pharisees. You read that in Matthew 12, verse 41. It says, the Ninevites would accuse you because they repented when there was a messenger like Jonah. I'm one bigger than Jonah. I'm the son of God. And you are not repenting. The world we have God's own testimony. And the world scoffs at it. But the Ninevites will have a few words to tell us, to tell mankind. Because mankind is not repenting. We have one that is greater than Jonah, which is Christ. And Christ, yes, he will bring justice. But he also bring mercy. As we know, the weightier matters of the law, Matthew 23, 23, justice, mercy, and faith. And understand 
It's not mercy, justice, and faith. It is justice first. And upon repentance, there's mercy. And then we have to walk in faith, the way. So, mankind will learn that way. Even the robber that was next to Christ at the crucifixion will be in that second resurrection, the time of the white throne, and will have an opportunity to learn and to repent. The Ninevites will be there, and the proverbial Good Samaritan will be there, and all will have an opportunity to know the truth and repent, because God and His beloved Son, our Savior Jesus the Christ, have a great heart. But Jonah was mad, was cross. Because in his mind, the prophecy had failed, and therefore he would be seen as a false prophet. But the prophecy did not fail, because he was looking at the wrong perspective. The prophecy achieved its purpose, led people to repentance. And then we read at the conclusion of the book, uh, from verse 9 through to verse 11 of chapter 4, that uh, that in the end, God is speaking to Jonah and says, and should I not have pity on Nineveh, where it's got 120,000 people. We cannot see the right from the wrong. And many animals that were not destroyed. And the story is left there. There's no amen. Tradition says that he repented and came to know God's heart and God's love. But the lesson is not for Jonah. It's for you and I. What do we learn from this story? You see, in Isaiah 58, we are to preach and we are to warn. In Isaiah 58, we are to warn. It says, cry aloud, spare not, lift not the voice, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and house of Jacob their sins. I want them to repent. I want them to change. And so, okay, but what is the lesson to you and I? The lesson to you and I is basically summarized in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, where it's talking about all these things that are going to happen and destruction is going to be and the earth and the works will melt with fervent heat as we read at the end of verse 10. In verse 11, gives us, in a sense... The purpose of prophecy. Which says, therefore, since everything will be destroyed, all these physical things, the point, the crux of the matter is, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? The purpose of prophecy is, what are we going to do about it with our lives? Are we learning about it? Are we changing ourselves to conduct ourselves in a godly way like God is? Because God's intent is to save us. God's heart is that he loves us. And when we do repent, and when the whole of mankind will have repented, 
Then we get to Revelation 21, where we read in verse 3, that it says that God is, is dwelling with man, mankind. That's God the Father himself. He's come down in verse 3. And he'll dwell with mankind, and they shall be his people. God the Father himself will be with mankind as spirit beings, now spirit beings, convert spirit beings, and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Can you think of that? How many of you know people or some of you are going through tremendous trials? Could be health. Could be emotional. Could be mental. Trials that are unbelievably destroying. But we have to stand in faith and keep going. God will wipe away that. Our heavenly dad. It is as if he comes with a little handkerchief and wipe your tears individually to each one of you and I. Because God himself will be with them and will be their God. For the former things have passed away. You know, the heart of prophecy is not about intellectuality dates. Oh, I know this date. Christ's return is going to be on this day. You know what? You're probably wrong. It probably may be just because of that. It will not be on that day. So, uh, the heart and intent of prophecy is not intellectuality, but it's repentance, becoming humble, meek, teachable, malleable, becoming like God, being merciful like He is, being obedient, and living a life in absolute trust for God until Christ comes back, living in faith. You see, God didn't need to tell us all these details in advance. Quite often, many of the details, we don't even fully grasp them. I mean, look at Daniel, says, hey, just go to sleep, rest, because everything's not revealed yet. And a lot of things have been revealed, but not everything. Sitting in the doctrine committee, it's amazing the papers we get about this is that, and that is that, and the other is that. And we say, oh boy. Now we've got to spend a lot of time answering these things. Because if we just answer for a simple letter, people get upset. He says, I wrote 40 pages and you just replied to me with one paragraph. You're not fair. So, God has given us all these details because when it actually is fulfilled and you look back, he says, wow, it worked out exactly like he said it would. Wow. Just shows God's great mind. Through all this huge worldwide complexity, 
of emotions, of people, of nationalities and things like that. God has worked it all out. Wow. That's a powerful brain. That's a lot of wisdom. And you and I can try and work it out. You probably work it incorrectly. Maybe you're going to get a few details right, but you know, many of it will probably be wrong. But so what? The point is that when it happens, we can look back and say, wow, just shows God's power. How powerful and God is. What's the good of it if we don't repent? What's if you have all the dates correct and if you have all these things correct and if we don't have love, it's nothing. That's what we read in First Corinthians 13 verse 2. And so let's go back to that, if we may. First Corinthians 13, verse 2. Right at the beginning. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, I get full intellectual pride that I've got it all right if I'm not practicing love it's nothing it's all in vain prophecy yes it involves dates involves me involves meanings of seals and different things but the heart and intent of prophecy is that God has got a great plan, a plan of salvation, and He's telling us in compassion the way to get there. 